0: Mr. Festive greetings to you and welcome to Happily Ever Teaching, where we help you enthrall your learners in every subject under the sun using the best teaching method known to science, storytelling. To do this, we feature special guest educators who are passionately keen for your children to become amazing and successful human beings. I'm storyteller Chip Cahoon, and with me this week is...
1: I'm Bex. And um, I'm a Key Stage 2 teacher from a two-form entry primary school in Cambridgeshire. And I also help with initial teacher training as well.
2: Hi, I'm Rob. Uh, I'm also a Key Stage 2 teacher. And I've worked with Year 5 and 6, as well as Year 4 and Year 3.
1: Abby Marison. I'm Education Programme Manager at Festival Bridge. Hi, I'm Deb Langeskov.
3: I am an Art and Design teacher in Primary, Secondary and Infant. And I'm Education Programme Manager at
1: Festival Bridge.
0: And today we are exploring what art learning outcomes we can explore with this week's Christmas folktale from the Middle East. You can listen to the story by downloading our sister podcast, Fables and Fairy Tales, or search our website epictales.co.uk for Come On Little Camel. There you can stream a video of me telling the story for your children. And if you sign up as an epic educator, you can also get a copy as an e-book or paperback illustrated by the remarkable Corky Paul. You can download the full audiobook at any time and even pick up some tips for telling the story yourself. Right now, though, let's continue our discussion with Rob Becks, Abby and Jen here. And the reason why Jen has joined us for our Christmas party is because, as you heard her say there, she's an art specialist and she's going to be um, exploring the art learning outcomes with us. But also the philosophy ones. Jane, can you just explain a little bit about um, how this link-up has happened in, in your practice?
3: I was brought into an infant school as a art design specialist and a, the studio was already set up around uh, critical thinking and problem solving and really stretching the children in terms of vocabulary and debating skills and also kind of confidence building it was a school in a very um, deprived area which is where I started this practice and it was my job to develop a kind of method in which art could be used as a kind of reflection on the philosophy Uh, so we would always start off with a story Um, it could be anything um, whether it was related to uh, the topic that they were doing that term in their class or whether it was um, something completely different it didn't really matter I tended to to enjoy making a connection to the overall topic because I think it had a bit more context for the children. Hmm. What we would do is sit, sit around in a circle and they would talk about, um, they would we would play listening games and speaking games and making sure that they really took their turns, which is obviously all things that they do in the classroom naturally. But because it was in this uh, creative studio, it was taking them out of their normal everyday learning and they felt it was a kind of special place to be. So we had to, I had to adapt it to make them feel, yes, it was special, but the But they kind of they had to sort of continue abiding by the the guidance from their class teacher as well. Hmm. We would start off with a story. So we'll use the Elsie story as the kind of stimulus um, to to use the example. And um, I would get the children just to spend five or 10 minutes telling me a little bit about what they liked about the story, what they didn't like or what they wanted to know more about and we would, I I would do this with um, reception right up to uh, year twos. And they would sit with a pen and paper or pencil and paper and draw a picture. Something you liked, something you didn't like, something they wanted to know, know more about. And mm. um, at the end of the kind of 10 minutes, I wanted them to come up with a question. Now, obviously, the little ones, it could just be words. It could be anything, you know, anything they wanted to know more about or they wanted to say they liked or didn't like. But they had to try and turn it into a question. And I did a piece of action research um, with another teacher specifically for reception children about developing vocabulary, questioning vocabulary. And it worked really well doing this every single week um, over a term and seeing how the children develop their questioning skills. But it also meant that there was an opportunity for them to just sit and draw with no kind of pressure of what the outcome was going to be. So it was about the process Mm. of drawing and thinking together. Um, and it was really it was really successful, and the children got to a point where I didn't need to tell them what we were going to do at the end of the story. They got up, they got their paper, they sat down, they immediately started drawing with whatever they wanted, and they immediately came up with a question. So by the time That's they were nice. in year two, and we'd done sort of two years going into the third year of this, they were really quite proficient with their questioning vocabulary. So if we were using Elsie as our story, we would after they had come up with their questions, we would start. I'd start to group them together and come up with key concepts. So hmm. some of the key concepts you talked, Rob talked about earlier about um, perseverance and gratitude, but I was thinking there's, you know, really kind of simple ones just about being happy, about loneliness, um, yeah. about joy, about authority and defiance, um, about courage, disappointment. So we would, you know, I'd really try and get the children to think about what their questions how their questions fitted together and what was the key word that was coming out of that. And obviously there was quite a lot of discussion, especially with the slightly older ones. And when I've done it in um, uh, Key Stage 2, we do a lot about what is a concept. Hmm. So really getting them to understand what it is they were tra- we were trying to, to ask them to do. And wow. once, so with the little ones, once we have got the concept that they were wanted to focus on, we then talked about how we could contextualise it within their own lives. So, if we're talking about loneliness if, uh, for Elsie, when I'd ask them questions like, when have you been lonely? When do you think a person feels lonely? What's the difference between um, lonely and loneliness? Uh, why? And then, you know, always going back to the story, what was, why was lo- uh, Elsie lonely? Um, what were the factors that were making her feel this way? What does being lonely feel like? What does being alone feel like? So we would really, really tear apart the key concept until they got a real understanding of what we were getting at. And also play lots of games. I know Bex was talking earlier about perhaps writing a persuasive letter. Um, We would do lots of debating skill development in uh, the studio. So it might be that we split them into, I split them into two groups, and one of them would have to be on Elsie's side, and one of them would be opposing Elsie, and that they would have to fight her corner, you know, no, she's not hmm. really naughty, yes, she, you know, really think about, um, with a with a key question, is, you know, is Elsie naughty? Should she not... Um, should she have done what she's told? And then yes and no, and then the children would start this debate. And yeah. it was a really good way as well of getting those children who are um, quieter in, in school, um, who didn't, you know, weren't confident at answering questions because there was no right or wrong, as we all know in philosophy, um, particularly hmm. philosophy for children, there's no right or wrong. So that's kind of where... An inquiry, a philosophical inquiry begins, and it, I would do it over a few weeks, and then we would start to think about, well, how are we going to um, articulate these ideas in an art outcome? I mean, so, it
0: sounds almost exactly like what we're we're trying to encourage people to do with this podcast. I, mean, I, I can right. see Rob nodding away because, yeah, we, we do yeah. that pretty much every couple of weeks here, don't we? We start with the story. Do, um, we yeah. always start with PSHE themes mm-hmm. um, because that's the easiest way of seeing how children are responding to the story. And uh, so, so philosophy for, for children is essentially capturing the essence of philosophy, which is asking questions, yeah. isn't it? Asking yeah. questions about life. Absolutely. And I I, I really love that idea. And, and um, Abby was talking about it a bit earlier, again, in the, the PSHE discussion, just letting people know that there is no right answer. Um, and it's, it's okay to doubt things and to question things, mm. um, because otherwise we end up with a life where... Um, t- t- too many people are are absolutely convinced that they're right. And that's how you get get conflict. That's how things start going wrong in the world, because people are always just assuming that whatever they've been told or whatever they've decided Mm. uh, is correct.
3: That's one of the really nice things where we use the debating and opinion forming, because the children obviously, you know, particularly... Well, I think all primary age children are very influenced by the adults in their life, around their surroundings, about their culture... Their, their, their the, society that they have been brought up in. And, course, you know, yeah. there's no reason why they wouldn't think that there was anything different. Mm. So I think, you know, doing this method is a really nice opportunity for them to realise that other people do feel differently about things and that's OK. And they often, the children often ended up in quite a big... Dispute or an argument about what they felt was right, and it often came down to religion. I have to say, in the area mm. that I was working in, where there was quite, you know, a, a diversity of cultures and religions, it often came down to who was God and and was it real and you know, was he real and you know all these sort of things, which was really fascinating to see what these children were saying, and it wasn't for me to say that no, 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 you know, you, that's, that's not right. It was for them to understand that actually it's okay for other people to feel things are different.
0: Absolutely, mm. yeah. Just out of curiosity then, because it it's always great meeting like minds, um, but have you sort of amassed any evidence that what you've been doing has made a difference in the, the lives of the children that you've worked with or, or the schools that you've worked with?
3: I think the children, by the time they came out of Year 2... And they'd done this process for three years. They definitely had an ability to talk more confidently and with more conviction and more, um, and an ability to listen better to one another. Mm. I mean, I think it would be great to think that they had improved kind of, you know, literacy and, you know, all the things that we want from them. But actually, I think it was more about a kind of humane. Thing that you know it was about interaction interacting with other people yeah. interacting with people that weren't their peers you know really knowing how to talk to grown-ups how to listen um how to take on board and how to think i think mm-hmm. you know there's there's quite it's so the curriculum can be quite didactic and quite sort of rigid in in the way that children are um taught and i think it's an it was an opportunity for them to say oh okay my my ideas are valid my thoughts are valid and, and mm. I'm and I and I'm able to express them in an appropriate way. So Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I, I think that there's a, a really obvious reason why understanding is a synonym of knowledge it's because the more understanding you are the the more human you become the, m- mm. the more of a learner you can be mm. the more likely you are to um, pick up your literacy or your science mm. um, so there's definitely a strong link I think between mm. the philosophy angles that you're you're mm. exploring um, and yeah encouraging children to become great learners and great human beings
3: more than anything just big question askers you know, I think there's mm. nothing more more powerful than children who ask lots of questions.
2: I think that, so like Jen was saying, if you're more able to ask questions, then like Jen said, it makes you a better a better learner. You understand things better. If you can listen as well, teaching the skills oh, to yes. listen, then that helps in areas of the curriculum as well. Because oh, I think about listening to stories, If you if you just sit there and you're not talking, you're not necessarily listening to what's happening um despite what some children think but to be able to listen to understand and then to empathize and sympathize with the characters it kind of it all builds in massively to what we're trying to build in these children Mm. i think
3: and to use those kind of skills to think i mean even subconsciously to kind of reflect on your own existence in the world and your own being Mm -hmm. i think is is a really good to um enable children to to, to use it from a very young age because then it's built in, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And so I guess the uh, the link with art then comes with the various ways you can have of expressing your viewpoint mm. and sharing it with the world?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So what I would tend to do at this point was introduce them to um, normally just one artist because otherwise if I've done it with older children um, in secondary you can introduce a number of different artists and they can select which ones they want to work with um hmm. but for the story of elsie i would probably look at starry night van gogh lots of children will be familiar with with this piece of artwork or as another yeah. one called starry night by edvard munch um and then there's a completely different one called starlight night call, uh, by georgia o'keeffe who i'm sure you are familiar with the with the artist if if maybe not the artwork um but i would um after they had focused on the question that, or the, the key concept that they wanted to work on. I would really get them to tear it apart as much as possible. And then we would have a go at um, responding to the artist. So, for example, if we were going to do um, Van Gogh's Starry Night, I have a real aversion to primary children looking at a picture and making a copy of it because there's no thinking or creativity involved in that. It's a skill-based... It's just thing. creating
0: forgers. Yeah,
3: right, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, there's a skill in the technique that they're going to use, for sure, to draw something mm. out and to colour it and to, you know... But for me, that removes the element of creativity f- from them so okay. we would perhaps do a take a section of um, Starry Night and have a go at using maybe some oil pastels or some scrofito, you know, where you where you cover it in black um, paint. And then it, where the where you used the oil pastels or the wax crayons, it, it won't it won't mark over that. So you've got this really kind mm. of nice contrast between the black sky and the and the colours. But then I'd start to think about, okay, well, what does loneliness mean to you? So it might be that we had a whole session where they were just doing little drawings with little annotations, um, thinking about loneliness, maybe thinking about a part in the story or thinking about a place where they have seen loneliness or a character that they want to develop that's around loneliness or a house that's lonely, you know, really getting them to drive it, because as a facilitator for this method, I felt that even though I'm a trained teacher, I didn't want to teach them. I couldn't teach them. I just had to allow them to kind of take it. So the skills and techniques and materials, yeah. I could I could teach them, but, but the creativity had to come from them. So we would explore the materials, we would explore some processes, we would explore some techniques, and then I would say to them, right, okay, well, let's let's now make a piece. What do you want to make? How do you want to make it? and just see what would happen. The, the pieces of work that the children came up with were absolutely extraordinary. And giving okay. them that freedom... I mean, I think, you know, when teachers in the school I was working in with um, gave it a go without me being in there, it was difficult because they they didn't have the the confidence or the skills to drive that with the children. So, you know, I think it was beneficial, but I come from an art and design background because I knew how to kind of steer the children in the right direction without saying Mm -hmm. this is what it needs to look like. Another example, the Edward Munch, um, also Starry Night, is a really beautiful um, landscape with a kind of almost like a Turner sky with a meteor going across the, the top. We could have a go at using watercolours, we could use colour pencils to then blend on top of the watercolours. So again, we'd have a little Mm. go at the technique and then say to them, well, what do you want to make? Do you want to make some kind of three-dimensional box with different aspects of loneliness or different aspects of the concept that we were going to look at?
0: It links very nicely to what you were saying earlier about the philosophy and and what Abby was saying as well about um, uh, the validity of different viewpoints. Because if you can show that um, there are a number of different ways of painting the same scene, um, okay. That's a very practical activity, but it's another way of showing, isn't it, that yeah. there are different ways of looking at things.
3: Absolutely.
0: Um, mm. Was it you, Abby, who told us about the different ways that uh, Munch did the Scream? Was it? We the, did. The... We did
1: this in the Boggett. So we uh, did, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. It was. It was one of our, our previous podcasts. We explored a folk tale of a boggart in the in Lincolnshire I think it was um but yeah I I thought about the idea of the scream and the way I'm putting my hands to my face the way that you know (laughs) (laughs) it's just that um but I hadn't realized until I researched it because I'm not an art um professional and it's not my background that there are actually lots of different versions of the scream itself Mm -hmm. um by munch yeah and and i think what jen's touching on here is is something that if i was a practicing teacher in primary right now i would have that same fear of i don't know other than because you're not assessing and i think we we as as primary school teachers we are so used to assessing Mm. an outcome and it's really frightening to give them that space of we are not assessing we are exploring Mm. And that's okay, Mm. Um, And to do it uh, alongside philosophy has got two really positive outcomes, hasn't it? Because Mm. they're being creative. They're having space to be creative. They're exploring the materials, Mm. but they're also exploring feelings and thoughts. So um, giving our our listening teachers the support to to do that, uh, I think, is really great. And, And from listening to you, Jen, I think I would have the courage to do that, but wouldn't do otherwise.
3: Yeah, I think I think you do need to um have some have some courage to do these kind of things, because especially if you 're not from an arts background, I know that I would feel terrified of having to do this with dance or I did do it a bit with drama in a kind of mantle of the expert um style um which is very which is quite similar to this. But, um, yeah, you have got to have courage to do it. And also, you know, with this kind of thing, there is, as you say, Abby, there isn't a kind of assessment framework for this. So it doesn't matter if it goes wrong. It doesn't matter <laughs> what the outcome is for any of it, because it's all about process. You know, it is great at the end of every academic year, I would have an exhibition in the centre of Norwich in a, in a proper gallery where we would get all the children's work framed and, and have an exhibition oh, wow. with parents and the press, and people would come, and the work when it was up like that it was just incredible and it allowed the children to not only uh, feel that their work was was valued but also an opportunity for them to talk about the work mm. in front of the grown-ups mm. and say these you know talk about the kind of key concepts that they were um, going through when they were doing this method but I think yeah teachers wanting to um, take this on you know and feel brave about it can just just go for it. There's nothing there's nothing stopping
0: you. You're kind of highlighting to me just how good this particular story is for, for what you're talking about, the, the importance of the process. Yep. Because, you know, we often think about the nativity being it's everything that happens in the stable, that's important. But for the character of Elsie if she hadn't been distracted, if she hadn't had that moment in the middle of the desert where her persistence uh, and determination were tested, there would have been nothing for her. She wouldn't have got a reward out from it other than, you know, just whatever her parents are getting paid for taking travellers across, which Mm. I guess is straw or whatever it is that camels eat. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's because she was on this journey and she was, I suppose, in a way, experimenting, sniffing out the cacti and exploring you know, through the snakes and the, the scorpions she ended up with the result that she did so yeah
3: Uh, the bit that really jumped out at me as well was the wisdom and the wonder so Mm. that time where the moments where her her grandmother kept saying chin up you know and she wondered she wanted to know why she always had to look up at the sky was quite a kind of pivotal moment wasn't it and this being able to look up and see something that you hadn't thought about before and hadn't considered its importance before could be a really big concept for children to think yes. to talk about and to develop into a an, a creative outcome you know thinking about what 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 do you wonder what is around you that you've not thought about before can you identify something in your school in your house in your friendships in your you know, whatever in your lunchbox, you know, whatever that makes you wonder (laughs) about the world or makes you wonder about something you'd not thought about before. So I think there are some really kind of key things in that story that would be great for this kind of method
0: that's all we have time for today folks if you try out any of these ideas or if you'd like us to help you teach a topic you're soon to cover with your young learners let us know on social media using at happily or leave us a review using your favorite podcast app please also share this podcast with your colleagues and help us start that story-led revolution in classrooms around the world so children everywhere can enjoy effective and lifelong learning Tomorrow, Elsie will help us teach religious education and geography. But right now, it only remains for us to say cheerio, and we hope to hear your story soon. So, cheerio, Cheerio. and And we we hope hope to hear 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 your story soon. soon.